The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
Today's sermon is pre-recorded. You can't get out the way you got in. You can't get out the way you got in. Almighty God, would you quicken this book of Romans to our hearts? Would you cause us to not just understand with our mind, but Lord, would you come with your Holy Spirit, with revival power, with conviction of sin, that this casualness of our hearts would be cast off and that we would finally be willing to deal honestly with you, Jesus. Quicken now this word for us. I pray in your holy name. Amen. What does a normal Christian look like? How does he act? What are his values? What is normal Christian living? Jesus warned us that at the end of time, many Christs would come. Many would come saying, Jesus is out here or Jesus is over there. And he said, pay no attention to it. For when the Son of Man comes, every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. It will be public, not private. Today there are many Jesuses who have come. But they are not the Jesus of Scripture. So what does the scripture actually teach us about how to enter in? We all have our ideas, we all have our beliefs and our concepts, but we're not the Christ. And so many times I've read this book of Romans in one seating, just read it through and then read it through and then read it through. And then I've gone to others and read what they have said about the book of Romans. I find... Martin Luther came to the book of Romans and wrote his commentary based on his presuppositions. Matthew Henry came and wrote on the book of Romans with his belief. Everyone has written on it from their perspective. And I've been coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, could I just come and look at this word and take it for what it says? And then that would be enough for me that I wouldn't have to add anything to it. I could just hear what it says and understand it. Not in an intellectual manner necessarily. Not in a technical manner. I can take you to Luther's commentary and he will become very technical with you. That's not my heart as we go through the book of Romans. I've done that at other times. I want to do this on an experimental basis. I want to do it as we walk it out. You know, there has never been a people more educated than you all are in the history of the world. Never have we had pastors with so many advanced degrees, such high education, and yet with such ungodliness on every hand, such worldliness in the way we live and the way we walk. So obviously, intellectual understanding of this will not bring a behavior or heart change. It's going to take something dramatically different. And that dramatically different person is the Holy Spirit. 
Because only the Holy Spirit can reveal to us Jesus Christ. So we need the Holy Spirit, not for gold dust falling from the ceiling, and not for diamonds falling, and not for our teeth turning gold, all of that foolishness. We need Jesus to be revealed to us by the Holy Spirit, that conviction of sin could come and righteousness could rain down from heaven. See, I'm not interested in gold dust raining down. I'm interested in righteousness raining down. I'm interested in the power to defeat Satan, to be set free. And that's what I believe this book will do for us. Now, there is one scripture that outlines for me the clearest of all scriptural statements regarding what a normal Christian life is. And that's found in Galatians 2, verse 20. This is what the normal Christian life is. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. To me, that is normal Christian living. That I no longer live my life. I live instead Jesus Christ out of me. Jesus Christ in me. But now we've got to become very practical and talk about, okay, how is that done and what does it look like? The Apostle Paul begins his epistle or letter to the church at Rome. Paul a servant of Christ Jesus. The word servant is doulos, meaning slave. I, Paul, a slave. Now you know that Paul was a Roman citizen. A number of times he used that in his defense to prevent himself from getting a beating. He claimed his right as a Roman citizen. But here Paul begins very clearly saying, I don't claim my citizenship with Rome. I come to you as a do-lost slave, one who has no right to own property, no right to own family, no right to have any recognition. My master gets everything that I have. That's how he's going to begin to teach us about this book. And frankly, I can't think of any more offensive way for an American group of people. We don't even want to begin to go there. I mean, we have what we have, and we are what we are, and we like it. And Paul is saying, no, I don't have anything. Everything I have belongs to Jesus. And I'm going to teach you, he says, how to walk in this Jesus. He's called as an apostle. You recognize the word apostle. Comes out of the Greek, meaning ambassador. Used of the Sanhedrin that was the legal body of the Jewish people. The Sanhedrin would send a person to report the legal decision regarding your case, and that person was called an apostle. So Paul is coming to tell us about the legal case against us and to tell us what the outcome of that case is. Set apart for the gospel of God. And gospel means good news. The good news that God has regarding your legal case Now, this this is also offensive to some of you because you want to deny that there is a legal case standing in court against you. No, I'm a free man. Nobody has anything against me that I can't handle. 
No, in the courts of heaven, a a case is being made against you. And accusations are being made against you that would cause you to be thrust into hell. The good news of the gospel is that there is a way you can escape that sentence and be transformed into a son of God and a daughter of God. Now he begins in verse 4, who the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So he's saying, I belong to Jesus Christ. I am a slave of Jesus Christ because number one, he was absolutely holy and sinless. And number two, because he was resurrected from the dead. If Jesus Christ had lain in that tomb and not been resurrected, all of his holiness would have meant nothing to us. It was the resurrection from the dead that certified that God accepted the sacrifice. The payment was made and the way was opened for us. Now I need to digress for just a moment. Let's deal briefly with this issue of the blood. There was a transaction made between God the Father and God the Son by his death on the cross. That blood I cannot feel. It is not emotional. It was a transaction that was made that I did not see take place. It took place before I was born. But that transaction between the son and the father opened the way for me to have a way of escape. I have to accept by faith that that blood has opened the way to the father. Nothing else will open the way to the father. Well, this week, I spent this, the hour every day reading the scripture. And this week, I spent an hour every day praying. And this week, I spent time helping everyone. I was a good guy this week. I get access to God. Sorry, no. There is never access to God via any means save the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only the blood of Jesus that opens the way to the Father's throne. Now, the blood has two other primary functions. One, according to Hebrews 10, it takes away my guilty conscience. It defeats Satan. It utterly defeats the powers of darkness. That's why we sing this song, Satan, the blood of Jesus is against you. Because that blood of Jesus defeats the power of the devil. He cannot stand before it. So if in my walk, I begin to accuse myself because emotionally I can't sense the blood transaction between the son and the father, and I begin to accuse myself and say it's hopeless, then I'm siding with Satan against Jesus. And I spiral down into darkness And into sin. I stand by faith on what the blood has done. It has opened the way into the heavenly court. It has transformed me into a righteous person. It has defeated the power of the devil. That's what the blood does. We're going to go into this in much more detail as we move into the book of Romans. But notice now what Paul says in verse 5. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace 
And you know what he says in the book of Titus, that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness. So grace is never in scripture permissiveness. Grace is never in scripture permissiveness. Grace is always the power to walk free of sin. Grace always covers my sin and changes me into the likeness of Jesus. That's grace. We received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from Faith. Okay, let's be clear now what the purpose of his writing this epistle to the Romans is. It's not to intellectually inform us regarding what Jesus did at the cross. He is not going to teach us this epistle to give us additional religious information so that we can be among the well-informed. His purpose is to call us into a righteous life. To call us into an obedient life. But then he says, but it's not by way of the law. It is not by way of the law. It is by way of another source. But it is obedience. And it comes from faith. Verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I had to stop as I was reading this. I am ashamed of America's gospel. Because America's gospel is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. One non-Christian was very bold. He said that the Christians of China and the Christians of America don't seem to have much in common. The Christians of America seem to have a lot more in common with the Buddhists and the Hindus. They seem to have a lot more in common with the Muslims. They seem to have a lot more in common with pagans than they do with the Chinese Christians. I wonder what's causing that difference. And then he moved on. The gospel is not that you can get rich. The good news is that you're already rich. That you've already been given the most precious gift that the universe has to offer. You have been given the gift of the blood of Jesus Christ. The most expensive gift in all of the universe. Nothing is more precious than this gift. I'm not ashamed of that gospel. Because it is the power of God. It is the power. In the Greek it is dunamis. From which we get our word dynamite. This gospel is the dynamite of God. In other words, it has the power to blow you out of your sin. It has the power to release you and set you free from every bondage and every captivity. This gospel is not an anemic, weak gospel. It's a mighty gospel. It is powerful. It is dynamite. It is explosive. For the salvation of everyone who believes. And again, the word believe does not mean intellectual assent. It means to adhere to. It means to be glued to. It means to be stuck to. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. 
So I had to stop and say, what does this word righteousness mean? I've struggled with this word many times, and it just seems to elude me. And I finally had to go to the old English, and the word suddenly came alive for me. In the old English translations of the Bible, it does not say righteousness. It says right-wiseness. Right-wiseness. Does that open a door of understanding for you? Right-wiseness is the ability to differentiate between right and wrong. It's, It's the ability to rightly separate and divide. Right-wiseness is the understanding and the ability to choose to walk in what is light instead of what is darkness. That's righteousness in Scripture. It is purity. It is holiness. It's wisdom and understanding. And so it says the right wise will live by faith. Now, I wish that Paul had rewritten the book of Romans. For I would have skipped the rest of chapter 1. I would have skipped all of chapter 2. I would have skipped through chapter 3 until probably verse 23, and then I would have started writing it again. But Paul didn't do it that way. Let me explain why. He begins now to teach the gospel that he calls good news by saying, the wrath of God, this is chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So he's going to begin now to lay out an understanding of the wrath of God. This is where the gospel has to begin. If you begin the gospel anywhere else, you are like I have been raised to be a sugar daddy, a permissive daddy. There, there, it's okay in the midst of your sin. You're all right. Everybody loves you. Today in our culture, we call it unconditional love. Did you know there is no such thing as unconditional love? The scripture never once uses the term unconditional love. Rather, the scripture uses the term unfailing love. Never unconditional love. And any parent would have to admit that a child can finally grow up and act in such a manner that they throw him out of the house. Any parent who has had a child grown up understands that children do not have the right to burn the house down. They do not have the right to beat mama up. Dad comes home, son beat mama up. What's dad going to do? He's going to throw son out on his ear. He's going to still love him, but he's out of there. It's over. There is no such thing as unconditional love. Unconditional love is an oxymoron. By its very nature, love is not permissive. It is a, it's an opposite of love. Unconditional is the opposite of love. The two cannot wed. They don't go together. The words mean opposite things. 
And so Paul begins with the wrath of God, the judgment of God being poured out. That's love. Now he begins to go through a whole series of explanations. And he says that everyone knew about me. Everyone knew about my ways. The Lord God of heaven is saying, I'm not a mystery. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Notice, though, this is what begins to happen that brings the wrath of God on people. They knew God, but they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. In other words, they stopped lifting their hands up to him and started raising their fist to him. They began to make accusations against him and they stopped glorifying him. And then their thinking process, Paul says, became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. You only need to go to the Jefferson Memorial to see what I'm talking about. Here is the great God of America. He looks godlike, huge, sitting up on his throne. We're not the first ones. The Greeks did it. Have you been to the Louvre? Have you seen Michelangelo's David? He looks like a god. All of his natural attributes have been enhanced and enlarged. He is the ideal man. This is what Paul is talking about. You begin to make idols for yourself. You begin to... Envision yourself as someone who is limitless, someone who can do anything he wants to do. I used to have a saying when I was a kid. Somebody would say, how you doing, Ray? And I'd say, the sky's blue and the visibility's unlimited. I'm going to be somebody. That was my standard answer. I'm on my way, and everybody said, that young man's going somewhere, as I stood in my bib overhauls with a smell of farm all about me. This young man's going somewhere. And the church members would talk about me behind, wonder what's going to happen to this one, this Tom Sawyer. We begin to look beyond ourselves and we begin to see ourselves as gods. We begin to lift ourselves up and say, we're somebody. Notice verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Let's take a young man or a young lady who gets into sexual immorality, who gets into pornography, and that thing begins to eat him up. Guess what? That was God's judgment on that person's life. God is not judging them because they got into lust. God is not judging them because they got into pornography. God judged them and gave them over to that lust and that pornography. That's what I mean when I titled this, you can't get out the way you got in. So many times as we walk deeper and deeper into our rebellion, a young man who says, okay, I'm, I'm now a man, I can cuss all I want. And so he begins to cuss and swear. 
And he thinks that's manly. Then he begins to go out and buy cigarettes and he begins to smoke. And when he gets a chance, he buys some beers and, and he gets some beers. And then he has a chance with a young lady and he goes for it. What's happening? The Lord God of heaven is going to judge that young person and give them over to the lust of their heart. Now let's say they decide, okay, I don't want to go this way anymore. I'm just going to stop buying cigarettes. I'm going to stop buying beer. I'm going to stop playing with the gals. I'm going to back out of this deal. I'm sorry. You don't get out the way you got in. You don't just stop. You don't have that power because God's judgment has already fallen on you for another sin. The sign of that sin is the lust of your heart. The sign of that sin is being giving you over to the depths of that degradation. But that's not the real sin that God's concerned about. The real sin that God is concerned about is that you stopped glorifying Him as God yes. and you stopped saying thank you to Him. Yes, Lord. That's what the sin is for which God gave a person over to that judgment on their life. And it terrifies me when I see some of the young people with rebellion and bitterness in their hearts. And I see some of you more mature with bitterness and judgment in your heart against God. And you're angry with God and you begin to have accusations against God. And you thumb your nose in God's face and you say, I'm not going to worship this God. God will give you over to the lust of your heart as a judgment against you. For that kind of behavior, that attitude, God will judge you. You wake up one day and you say, how did I get here? How do I get out of this? I don't want this anymore. How do I get out? You don't get out by just saying, oh, I want to change my ways. I'm not going to do that anymore. You've already been given over. Judgment is already, the wrath of God is already on your heart and on your life. Paul wants us to understand this at the very beginning. Otherwise, we'll have no value for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll have no understanding of the covenant that we walk under called the everlasting covenant. And we won't enter into that covenant because we think all we have to do is try a little harder and discipline ourselves a little better. No, what we need to do is is go join a group that will hold us accountable. Maybe we can go to a 12-step program and every time we go in say, my name's Ray, I'm an alcoholic. No, I'm sorry, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's That's a maintenance program that's very helpful in the flesh for worldly people. It is not the way of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes in, and we'll get into this in depth, he says, why don't you just go ahead and get on the cross? Why don't you go ahead and die? And I'm going to bring a new person to life out of this deal. I mean, which of you have gone to your closet and said, okay, there's some clothes that have just got to go. And and, and I have to tell you today, I've got this T-shirt and pair of shorts. I have to watch my wife constantly because she wants to steal those out of my closet. I mean, it's threadbare around the neck. It's completely faded. But you know why I like them? They're so comfortable. I put on those new t-shirts and they feel stiff on me. They itch my back. I put on those new shorts that my wife so kindly went out and got for me. 
They pinch my stomach. I think she meant for me to lose some weight. But those old shorts have elastic. You know, they stretch. Now, let's say I finally recognize the time has come. I have to get rid of this old stuff. Now, what do I do? Do I say, okay, Jan, would you please wash these up for me? And then let's starch them and spray them up. Let's have them looking new again. Let's dye them. Would you get your sewing machine out and would you serge the neck on this shirt? I mean, if I'm going to throw them away, they've got to at least look their best. No, we don't wash up clothes and and press clothes that we're going to throw away. Now, I can take those clothes to a 12-step group anytime I want. And and I can say, these shorts are new. This t-shirt is like new. See, I even have some starch put in it. It's still just an old t-shirt and an old pair of shorts, and it still needs to go in the trash. Now, until we begin to understand that our life outside of Christ is just trash, we're not going to get out of this deal. No deliverance will come from Jesus. Instead, only more judgments will come on our life. Paul goes further. Verse 21, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. So they stopped giving thanks to God. They shook their fist at God. They ignored him. And they began to say, I have to have those new clothes to make me look like I'm somebody. And I have to have that new car to make me look like I'm the man. Now I'm saying that man-made things are more important than the mighty God of heaven. So I'm not giving him thanks. I'm not lifting up my hands to him in praise. Notice what happens. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. So, homosexuality is not what the church should be all upset about. Homosexuality is merely a sign that that person or that person's parents or that person's grandparents turned against the mighty God of heaven, no longer worship the living God, but worship things created with human hands. And God said, I'm now giving you over to homosexuality as a judgment on your life. So America is fast spreading. McDonald's spending big dollars to advance the homosexual agenda. Over 250 major American corporations are now pushing the homosexual agenda in America. Well, we say, let's go boycott McDonald's. 
Let's go boycott. No, the issue is not homosexuality. That's the judgment God has placed on America because we refuse to worship the living God of heaven. We refused to lift up our hands and surrender to him. We said we will be our own gods and God said, okay, I'll give you over to homosexuality. I've talked with men and I've talked with women who are now in homosexual affairs and they have said to me, Pastor, I never dreamed this could happen to me. Or I've talked with men who are caught in pornography, consuming their life. And they've said to me, Pastor, I never dreamed this could happen to me. I thought it was innocent. I thought it was nothing. And now chains bind me. The problem is not the lust. The problem is not the pornography. A righteous man could look at that same pornography and it would not touch his heart. Instead, he would see that woman and begin to weep and say, Lord Jesus, how can you save that dear one? Isn't that what Jesus did with Mary of Magdala? Jesus was not tempted by Mary of Magdala. His heart was moved with compassion and he cast the demons out of her. The problem when that man or that woman looks at that and becomes filled with lust and goes after that is that they have been judged by God and they have been given over to that sin. What they need to fear is not the lust. What they need to fear is the wrath of God. For that wrath is upon them and will destroy them. And so God comes in the Holy Spirit and he says to a man, stop going to that computer. And that man says, okay, I'm not going to go to that computer anymore. I don't want that lust. Until the next time. Until something happens in his heart and he says, you know, I really would like to see the news. Sits down and looks at the news and then he's three clicks away from that vivid pornography and off he goes again. And then he feels very bad about it. And then he goes back to God. He says, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I'm finished. I'll never go that way again. No, not until the next time. Why? Because that person has been given over to judgment by God. And he can't get out of it the way he got in it. He can't go to the computer and say, okay, Mr. Computer, I can beat you. Because he's not the master. He's fooling himself. Oh, now we need a sex edition of men coming together and and saying, I've got a sexual problem. You all hold me accountable now. Call me every day and ask me if I've been on the computer. What foolishness. God has judged that person and given them over to the vileness of their heart. They're not going to get out of it the way they got in it. It's not a matter of struggling in my spirit to keep a law that says you can't go to pornography. It's not a matter of keeping the law that says I can't lust after those clothes or that car or I can't lust after money. Those things are judgments of God that have been passed on our lives and they will result in our utter destruction and death if there is not a way of release that is not of the law but is of another means. This is what Paul is laying out. He's saying to us, look, you can get as depressed about your sin as you want to get depressed. You will not find deliverance by getting depressed about your sin. 
You can feel as bad as you want to feel about it. You're under the judgment of God. The wrath of God is on your life. And you will not be released from that wrath until you come a different way. Have any of you tried hard and it didn't work? You just went back again and again and again and again. And and you finally said, the gospel has no power. There's no dynamite in the gospel. I'm hopeless. I might as well, and anger builds in your heart. Resentment against God builds in your heart. Every time resentment or anger builds in the heart of a person, it says, my expectations for my godliness is not being respected. I should have godlike powers. I'm the man. I'm the woman. And because I don't have it, I'm mad at you, God, and I'm mad at my family. I'm mad at people I work with. I should have the right to have the power to be in charge of my life. And I should be able to try hard and keep the law. After all, God, what do you want? We shake our fist in God's face. If you'd just come and help me here, God, I could do it. All I need is a little help. And God says, my wrath is on you. And you're not going to get out of this the way you got in it. He's not finished. Verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They've become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. Whoa, wait a minute. Did you know that gossip is a judgment of God on a life? It is a sign of the wrath of God being on a person. Slanders. Did you hear what so-and-so did? Can you believe it? That's a judgment of God on that person's life that says they are being given over to judgment and destruction. God-haters, insolent. Oh, what does insolent mean? Well, that's not a pretty one. Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the man here. Don't touch me. I don't have to listen to you. You know, I'll, I'll decide what I'm going to do. That's insolence. Insolence is a sign that a person has been given over to judgment before Almighty God. It was okay, wasn't it, as long as we talked about pornography. Now, Ray, don't, don't talk about the clean sins. Do you ever hear of clean sins? They're the things I can't help. I just do them, but, you know, God understands. We've got to deal with God. God understands that that's just how I am, and I'm, I'm growing, and, and I'm a sinner. If you're a sinner, God's wrath is on you. And God's judgment is on you. And you've been given over to that sin. Boy, that kind of takes away the the struggling Christian spending all of their life trying to get over their sin, doesn't it? Does that make you as uncomfortable as it makes me? You know, I'm a sinner who's just doing his best. I mean, what can God expect? I'm doing the best I can. That's all I can do. 
All I can do is try. I mean, that's what my dad taught me. Raymond, at least you could try. He says God's judgment is resting on us. He says there's rebellion in my heart. There's fists lifted up at God. There's accusation against the Almighty. There's a refusal in my heart to glorify his name and to lift my hands up in thanksgiving to him. You understand, only a righteous person can lift their hands up in surrender and thanksgiving to Almighty God. Everyone else is given over to judgment. And the wrath of God is on them. They disobey their parents. Well, we should have passed that one by, right? They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Go through this list for me and tell me if every successful television show is not made up of these items that I've just read to you. Isn't that what sells it? Sex, violence, conflict, rebellion, intrigue, anger, bitterness. I mean, talk about the soap operas. Revenge. He's saying that if you approve of those who do these things, in other words, you sit and enjoy all of that flowing into your heart, the wrath of God is on you and his judgment is upon you. This is how Paul opens the gospel of good news. Do you understand now why I would have skipped all of this? Then chapter 2, he deals with the Jewish people who think they're so righteous because they're keeping the law. Verse 13, for it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. So let's be clear, please. The law of God demands absolute obedience. The law is a transcript of God's character. God demands perfect righteousness from his people. But Paul is saying that righteousness cannot come from keeping the law. Because the more the law is applied to our lives, the more rebellious we are the more angry we become and the more resentment rises in our soul and the more accusations flow from us toward heaven and the more we shake our fist at him and run from him in absolute despair. Paul is saying this is not going to work by keeping the law, but righteousness must come. So this is the conundrum that Christians are faced with right at the get-go. The gospel is good news But it's not permissive news. The gospel is good news. It says there is a way for us to be truly righteous, to leave our sin and to be set free from every bondage. There is a way for us to enter into God's presence and to dwell with him that is not of our own creation. Now in chapter 3, he brings it all to a climax. Verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Are we any better, that is, are we any better than the Jews who have the law and who understand everything but don't keep the law? 
Not at all. We've already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. And now he gets right down to the heart of it. We always like to speak about sins as being out here. My sin is that I'm lusting. My sin is that I'm gossiping. My sin is that I get angry. No, 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 no. Paul wants to bring it right down to the heart. And that is that by nature, I am sin. And nothing good dwells in me. Now again, as American Christians, this runs counter to everything we've been taught. If you listen to everyone from T.D. Jakes to Pastor Olson, they're going to all tell you the same thing. Life is about developing the best that is within you and bringing it forth in victory. Life is about exercising your power of faith. Faith is a power. And if I'll just use my power, I can create reality the way I want my reality to be. This is witchcraft. But this is what the American church has been taught. Paul comes and he says, now wait a minute, stop. I want you to understand. There isn't anything good in you, in your natural self. Because there's nothing good in your natural self, the wrath of God is on you, judgment is on you, and a sentence of death is upon you. Until we're willing to deal with the sentence of death that is upon us, we cannot enter into the gospel of Jesus Christ. If a sentence of death is not upon you, why do you need any good news? All you need to do is improve your life a little bit. And you've got these years, go ahead and and become all you can be. Just improve yourself. Discipline yourself a little bit and you'll be okay. No, no. Paul is saying no. The wrath of God is in all human beings. Everyone has been given over in judgment to their sin. There is no exception. He's saying there is a Delilah in every woman. There is a Jezebel in every woman. There is a Hitler in every man. Don't have any illusions about yourself. There is a seductress. There is a, there is a wickedness in every human heart. There is a cheater and a liar in every human heart. It is by nature who we are. We are sons of Adam given over to the devil. And there is a sentence of death on every one of us. And there is only one way of escape. And his name is Jesus. And to enter into that escape, we must meet his conditions. It is not a question of whether I am willing to accept Jesus. It is a question of whether Jesus is willing to accept me. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. Did you know that every impulse of your heart to seek after God is given to you as a free gift by Jesus Christ? Naturally, you would have no inclination to press after Jesus Christ. That gift of pressing, that stirring in your heart that says, I don't want this sin anymore, that's a gift given to you by the Holy Ghost. And you can quench that gift by shaking your fist at Almighty God. By being indifferent. By not saying thank you for planting in my heart a desire to know you, Jesus. 
And that sentence of death is then spoken over you. Oh, yes, you may have 50, you may have 60, you may have 100 years to live here. But the death will be eternal. Forever. It's over. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is not one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be made righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. Come visit us. I love you, my brother, my sister. I'll talk to you soon. Oh, his glory.